You're listening to Playback, a Variety iHeartRadio podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley, and I'm talking to actor Ed Harris today. He's in the new film Kodachrome, which you can check out on Netflix now. Obviously one of our greats, Oscar-nominated performances in movies like Apollo 13 and The Truman Show. We cover a little bit of everything in this episode, so sit tight. This is Playback. sick but i'm all right i heard you were late getting out of new york all the weather five and a half hour jeez it was some planes in boston didn't get out of boston oh yeah starts to back up plus i you know i just finished this play sunday afternoon and my body just said you're done <laughs> you know this fuck cold came over me so the plane ride was like pretty tough but it's all right it's he's all having right. to get creative on the lighting by the way do you sleep on planes? Are you able to sleep on planes? Oh, yeah. yeah. I wish I could, man. My yeah. dad's the same way. He'll just conk out yeah. as soon as he sits down. Got to. Just especially naturally, just, or do you have yeah. to, like... No, no. I just, yeah. I mean, especially since I wasn't feeling well. I just crashed, yeah. you know. So usually I just drink, like, a double of vodka as soon as oh, I sit yeah. down. Oh, yeah. Like, just numb yourself. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, we are recording, sir. Okay. So we'll dive right in. I'm here today with uh, Ed Harris. One of my favorite actors, and I'm so happy to be sitting here with you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me, man. You bet, Chris. Star of uh, Kodachrome. It's a new Netflix movie, and uh, it totally slips up on you, and I was a bit of a mess by the time the movie was over, I have to admit. <laughs> Tears were flowing. It's a beautiful performance, uh, I must say. and uh, But it's also, you know, within a genre that is familiar if genre is the word i mean just the tropes of a father son mm-hmm. thing uh and you know my first curiosity is how to keep it fresh when you know it's something that is kind of territory that's covered in the past and how do you keep something like that fresh well i didn't have any reference point of anything similar myself i'm sure i've seen something somewhere along the way you know but I think Jonathan Troper wrote a pretty tight script, you know, and and I really liked Mark Rosso and where he was coming from with it. Um, and working with Jason was was really a treat, you know. I mean, uh, we got along from the get-go. We'd never met prior to filming it. But, you know, to me, you get a script and then that's your Bible and that's its own reference point in a way, you know. And so you're just trying to tell the truth of that story as, as well as you can. Mm-hmm. It was interesting, though, because the, off the page, when you just read the script, the character that I play, he could have been... It reads... It read a lot more kind of flamboyant, a lot more kind of caricaturist. Mm-hmm. Car- character... Caricaturish. Yeah. Is that a word? It we is just made now. it one. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as we... Shot. I remember the, the, one of the very first shots. I don't know exactly what it was, but it was like, no, no, no. That this, this just lives where it lives. I mean, the guy's, you know, he's old. He's feeble. He's had a great career. He's basically paid no attention to his family for years. Uh, there's a part of him that wants to rectify that, as, as difficult as it might be, and it's just playing the truth of that. You know, it wasn't didn't call for. 
anything above and beyond some reality. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess it kind of answers this question, but I was just curious what you might have done to build the inner life or even the exterior of the character in interesting ways. Because I remember I spoke to you a number of years back about The Way Back, Peter Mm -hmm. Weir film, Mm -hmm. which I loved. He said something that I just thought was so awesome that you had just gone to town on a a stump in your backyard or something with an axe to build oh, up yeah, calluses. Oh, yeah, I had some really hard <laughs> land up top that I busted up with a pickaxe for a while. Yeah. yeah. Just manual labor. For calluses you know? that you're not going to see in the movie, but it just totally, like, No, and like, also just builds. what it was like to just be forced labor, you yeah. know what I mean? Just yeah. to, like, do that yeah. for no purpose other than you, you have to or they're going to shoot you. Yes. You know what I mean? Um because I wasn't achieving anything doing that, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Just getting into a headspace, I guess. Yeah. And in terms of this, I mean, you know, I, I did buy a Leica, like a MP3 camera and, and started reading about because I, I didn't know that much about photography and I probably still don't, but at least I le- a lot more than I did before. I mean, I was a professional, professional photographer. I talked to Steve McCurry for a while, who, you know, who's a famous photographer who, my character's work is based on McCurry's work. They actually show his 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 Kodachrome photos. I think at the end of the film, mm-hmm. my character is not based on his character at all in terms of it being a human being, but just the work. And it was anyway. It was great talking to him and just uh, playing that reality of being someone who is who has lived a selfish. Life in the sense of being totally dedicated to his work and not giving a damn about anything else. Uh, I don't live my life that way, but I can certainly understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you put, locking yourself into that, and and it was fun because the guy, because he doesn't really give a damn about anything other than his work. He 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 does, but he can't allow himself to until later in the picture. You know, in a way, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but there's a, it was a freedom about playing this guy, you know, and a relaxation and a just kind of getting a groove of here he is, take him or leave him. You started to talk about Jason Sudeikis there. He co-star plays your son. Uh, you know, you end up in some really emotional waters toward the end of the film. So I would imagine the give and take of working with the actor is important throughout the film and getting to that place and making it feel real. So I guess just talk a little more about working with Jason. And, and well, you know, we met, we met, we hadn't met, ever, we'd never met prior. Uh, certainly aware of his work on SNL and a couple of films he'd made. But right off the bat, I mean, he's a really open guy. Jason's so smart, you know, and he's he's interested in lots of different things and really uh, dedicated actor, professional. And, you know, it was a little bit of a departure for him playing a, a role that wasn't, in you know, comedic uh, throughout. I mean, there's some funny stuff he does in there, but it's not like a comedy role, you know. It was a dramatic turn, you know. And uh, we just really trusted each other, and we both we like sports. We, you know, we had some good, really good catches. Always bring my mitts with me when I play, and when I come to a set, and uh, we just got along, you know. And uh, 
you know, as an actor, you just do what you got to do to make something work. So that's what we do. That's what we were doing. I didn't know that. You bring your mitts. You, you play catch a lot at the uh, when you're on set. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's just a nice way to relax. You know, I bet. And it's also an, it, it, it's a fun thing to do with somebody because you're not talking, but you're sharing this energy. Yeah. You know, you're throwing this thing back and forth, and especially if somebody knows how to throw, throw a ball, it's fun. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I wanted to talk about Netflix. I mean, as a filmmaker yourself, Netflix acquired this film out of uh, Toronto. Uh, it's interesting. Let me look. Yes, we do have a Netflix still represented in the room. Um, it, it's it's interesting. A movie about Kodachrome film and picked up by Netflix. I just thought that was funny. But yeah. I'm just curious, as a filmmaker yourself, what do you think about Netflix changing the game? As I they have are? very mixed feelings about it. To tell you the truth, I mean, uh, I'm glad that they wanted to put the film out in theaters. You know, even if it's just for a week, that would be it would be nice if they would have it out longer. The fact that they have, I don't know what, 188 million viewers in 190-plus countries or something like that. I mean, what, do you, what can you say? I mean, I, I like seeing... The difference of seeing a film on a big screen and in your living room is huge to me. Any film that works, works better on a big screen. It just does. You get more out of it. It's just more intense. It's more detailed. It's more... You just it's just a different experience, you know. So in that sense, you know, that's where my mixed feelings come in. But mm-hmm. then again the access to things, you you know, first of all, you go to any major city, any movie complex and they've got, you know, four Avengers in there and a couple other films. I mean it's just there's no there's no place for films to be seen mm-hmm. other than on either Netflix or other cable stations, you know. So the thing I don't understand about Netflix, and maybe somebody can help me is understand that, is how you understand what's going to be on, what, a new film's on Netflix. Okay, so they uh, do some advertising, but there's hundreds of films. How, how, how does anybody know? Promoting that, it. Yeah. How, yeah. Do you, you know, how do you specify, hey, this is a film that's coming out? I mean, I guess they're doing a, a good job trying to promote this. one of the reasons I'm talking to you. <laughs> but, you know, but... uh so it's a mixed bag. Yeah. You know, if I was good to make a film, uh, which I hope to do this fall, you know, I haven't directed something since that Belusa. Yeah. Just speaking personally, I would not want to make it under the Netflix banner uh, off the bat unless I had a guarantee that it, but, but even then the guarantee would be, uh, yeah, we'll put it in the theaters for a week and it'll come out on Netflix on the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I feel about it. I've got mixed emotions about it, mixed feelings about it. But I'm glad they picked it up. I'm glad they believe in it. I'm glad they're behind it. I'm glad they're promoting it. I hope people who don't get a chance to see it in the theaters do see it on Netflix because I think it's a really cool film. Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point. I mean, the the fact that, uh, you know... The, the spaces for some of these movies are, are more and more limited in terms of the multiplex and, and whether they, you know, I had a, a filmmaker on the show last week, an independent filmmaker. He's worked in like the shoestring space. He's made like $2,000 films. <clears throat> he's got a new film called Gemini. And so we were talking about uh, uh, that and, you know, the fact that the industry's gotten to a point where the mid-budget stuff has gone away. I mean, like a m- movie like, for instance, I was going to bring this up, The Rock. It's one of my favorite movies that you've ever done. And I feel like movies like that, can't really get made even anymore because it's not based on like 
previously existing IP or something like that. And it's nice that the Netflixes are around to kind of shoulder that, I guess. Definitely, you know. You know yeah. Netflix as well as, you know, HBO or whatever other cable network is Showtime or et cetera, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. I mean, yeah, a lot of stuff wouldn't get made because there's, there's no – they don't put it in the theater. I don't know if that's ever going to turn around either, to tell you the truth. I mean, I guess Marvel's got to run out of property some point. <laughs> I don't know if they but will. maybe not. They'll keep conjuring more. And not that there's anything wrong with those things, but it just doesn't have to... It's almost, uh, you know, it's a glut. It's a glut on the market. Yeah. You started to touch on this, so I guess you're going to direct something soon, because I wanted to know if you were going to get behind the camera again. Well, I, get this, I wrote this script based on a novel called The Plowmen which is a, takes place in Montana, and I bought the rights to the book about maybe three years ago. Got the script to a good place and hoping to shoot it this fall. You know, I think I'm on the verge of getting it together, so you know, Garrett Headland's going to be doing it, and uh, my wife Amy, uh, hopefully my daughter Lily, and an actor who I'm pretty sure of some renowned older guy who I think could be great in a part, but I can't really say it because it's not definite. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, is that something where you've been itching to get back to Yeah, do I mean, that? I haven't directed, you know, the last thing I did was Appaloosa, which was 10 years ago, man, yeah. which I find hard to believe. And I've really been wanting to direct since then because I just, I love it, you yeah. know. Uh, and there were a couple things I was interested in doing. The properties were owned by other people. They were tied up one way or another, you know, and I... Hadn't, I, you know, I read quite a bit, but I never read anything that I really felt could translate cinematically into something that I could handle or felt worthy of doing. Until I read this, you know, I saw this review in the New York Times about this book and got it and optioned it, and I think it could be really cool, you know. So we'll see. Cool. Uh, I wanted to talk, just branch out a little bit. Sure. Uh, you know, surprised it's been ten years since Appaloosa. Can you believe it's been thirty-five years since the right stuff? <laughs> 35th anniversary yeah, this year. That's crazy. One of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I had Jeff Goldblum on the show a few weeks back, actually, talking right. a little bit about this. But, uh, you know, just any memories that surface? Well, yeah, we lost, we lost LeVon. We lost Sam yeah. last year. Yeah. Uh, I know Phil Kaufman's wife passed away. Uh, just talking to Caleb about shooting this movie I want to make, so I'm hoping I can work with him again. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, see Kathy Baker once in a while and some of the guys from the film. I haven't seen Fred Ward in ages. I haven't seen, uh, oh, I worked with Lance on Appaloosa, but I haven't seen Lance Hen- Hendrickson for a spell. Dennis Quaid, I haven't seen for a number of years. Yeah. But yeah, it was a really good, it was a very important time for me and a lot of us. And uh, yeah, it was a great experience, you know, working up in the Bay Area mostly. And I love the fact that there's that. And then you obviously Apollo 13 and you pop up with this fun cameo of sorts and gravity mm-hmm. the space stuff in your career yeah I mean, just kind of it's coincidental you know yeah. people go are you a huge <laughs> space fan i mean are you totally into you know space exploration and go not necessarily it's just like i've enjoyed doing those movies and i have a lot of respect for science and and for uh research especially you know exploratory research but uh you know it's just my involvement with those pictures is just been kind of a coincidence really what about stephen king this is a weird question i was just kind of poking around uh for some research before talking and i noticed you know the stand and needful things and going back to creep show yeah, yeah. is that just another coincidence i met stephen when we did night riders because he and george were buddies yeah. george romero and uh stephen actually has part in that there's a cameo where he's munching on a hot dog being some obnoxious <laughs> guy 
But there again, just kind of, you know, and then George Director Creepshow that he asked me to be in. And the stand was kind of just uh, a favor. George, it wasn't much of a role for me, I don't recall, as right. I recall. But I, you know, I've always enjoyed it. I've enjoyed his books. You know, they're always fun to read. He's a great writer and keeps at it. Prolific. And, uh, but there again, it's just kind of one of those things. You <laughs> yeah. Know? It seems yeah, prolific to say the least. And it seems like there's always a new wave of adaptations. Like we're mm-hmm. in the midst of a new one, you know, with the, the success. Well, his films, of- you know, his books translate to film pretty darn well. Yeah, they do. Did they do Mr. Mercedes yet? Did they yeah. make a, Yeah, that was did, just, did come just out? recently. Did yeah. it work? Did you see it? I didn't see it, but they were definitely fans, so I guess it worked. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, you know, I wanted to step back and talk about last year. What was it like diving into Darren Aronofsky's brain for Mother? It was pretty bizarre, really. <laughs> I mean, I really liked Darren a lot, you know. It was a tough shoot because he works, he's very, very meticulous. You know, by his own admission, he gets to exorcise his OCDs. <laughs> situation when he directs so you're doing 30 takes 32 takes you know and it, since the whole picture shot from jennifer's point of view i mean it's either on or over her shoulder or what she's seeing a lot of times like michelle and i be you know we're walking up the stairs in the background while there's a scene with javier and and uh jennifer in the foreground and you know we're doing that 32 times after why come on man <laughs> Because I'd be really curious when he gets in the cutting room which take he's using. You know, he's probably using take number four, you know what I mean? Right. But it was cool because you, you kind of know that going into it. I mean, he's a total visionary. I mean, the film obviously got very, very mixed uh, reaction. You know, I got one buddy of mine loved it, and the other people just <laughs> didn't get it at all, you know. my Did mother, you expect that? Oh, wait, tell me. My mother, of course, she was a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if we. Can, I don't know how I sat through this ad. You know, <laughs> but, but no. I mean, I'd work with Darren again because he's he has a point of view which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else do I have here. No, I, I'm always curious about Glenn Gary Glenn Ross and talking to, to people that worked on that. And you guys all tear into that dialogue. And yeah, it was a trip. Working yeah. with Jack, you, you got to work with Jack Lemon. Quite yeah, a bit in that, obviously. With Jack and uh, Alan yeah. uh, Arkin, you know. And Arkin and I had a really good time, you know, because we did a lot of, several scenes together, which I think yeah. worked pretty well, you know. And we, we yeah, had a good time. And getting to know Jack a little bit before he left the planet was was pleasant surprise and yeah. nice, good time. Tons of quotable stuff in that movie. I mean, was, it, was that the feeling amongst actors, be, the sense that you're able to just kind of fiercely tear into this well i think so we rehearsed that we rehearsed that more than any other film i've ever done we we had a we rehearsed in the office space those scenes for a couple weeks you know like a play almost you know i mean based on the play but and i think that really helped us all because most everybody was out of theater anyway doing that show you Mm know al and kevin and everybody you know arkin and all the people in the show jack etc yeah um but yeah, and Jamie Foley, you know, I think did a really good job. And he kind of left the radar. I'm not sure what Jamie's up to these days. Yeah, it's a great uh, adaptation. I yeah, mean, I think I think it I think it definitely did justice to the to the to Mamet's work. Yeah. Great atmosphere. I saw it on stage a few years ago, actually, when when Al did it on stage and he played Jack's part. Mm-hmm. He played uh, mm-hmm. Levine, which was kind of fun to see him take that on instead. But yeah, I love that that work from david mamet um have you done anything else that he's written i was curious about that i have not 
And then uh, we've got Westworld Season 2 is out. Uh, you know, I understand people have been asking you about that a lot lately, but uh, what can you say about it? What, what's your experience been like working on this show? I really like Joan and Lisa a lot. Joan and Nolan and Lisa, you know, who created this thing and who were responsible for for its existence. Uh, a lot of it, it's crazy because there's so much going on, you know, that I tend to gravitate to, to what my character's doing and what he's up to. And that's kind of on a need-to-know basis. Yeah. That's what I need to know. I don't need to know anything else, yeah. you know, because I find it, uh, especially when you... At the end of the second season, we were shooting like parts of, you know, six different episodes on two consecutive, two, two, three days with three full crews. I mean, it just was crazy. So you just got to focus on what your character is after and what he's doing, you know. I enjoy doing The Man of Black. I mean, he's a great character, you know. And in the, the second season, you know, somebody asked me the other night, is he a protagonist? Do you see him as a protagonist or an antagonist? And I said, I see him as a protagonist for sure. I think particularly in the second season because he's after something that I think is uh, uh, a worthy cause. Are you one of those that kind of feels like that no matter who you're playing? Like you don't think that the person thinks that they're a bad person? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know well, it depends unless the person is, you know, <clears throat> wants to be known as evil and considers sure. himself evil, yeah. then, then I guess you got to go there. But. Yeah, I mean, it just depends. I don't, that's a good question, but I don't know how to answer it. It's a fun show because of the, the Western iconography, and obviously you've made a Western. We've talked about Westerns in the past. Uh, that genre seems to always kind of be trying to kick back to yeah, life. Yeah, it's you know? resurfacing, which I'm glad of. You know, I think it's part of the whole Americana syndrome and the whole history of our country, and I don't think it's going to go away if keep popping up. You yeah. Know? I, I mean, I really like Appaloosa because I really feel it was a, a, a throwback in a way. You know, what I mean, it was it takes its time and it's not a ton of cuts in it. It's not some fast paced cut, 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 cut kind of deal. You know, it wasn't trying to be modern in any way. And I, that's what I like about the genre myself. Yeah, it's very classical. Uh, do you think it can maintain relevance in the modern climate? Uh, you know, because it's in, in some ways it's. Well, I don't know. Good question. I mean, it's it's an honor that always wrangles with what's going on contemporarily in some way, anyway, right? Like it's, it's it always seems like the best westerns. Well, yeah, good and evil. Yeah, basically. Sure. Yeah. You know, good guys trying to overcome the bad guys. Yeah. Pretty universal. And there was a I missed this. There's another anniversary going on this year that you're involved in. Which Twenty one? years since Truman Show. Uh huh. Okay. Another uh, Peter Weir mm-hmm. joint, if you yeah. will. <laughs> yeah. uh, any any memories of that come come back? Just doing it, you know, <laughs> and then meeting Peter on the beach in Malibu, not like only three or four days before I started filming, because I replaced another actor, you know, that they didn't, Peter and he didn't see eye to eye, so Peter asked me if I'd do this thing, and I'd loved his films prior, you know, that I'd seen, Picnic at Hanging Rock and, uh, you know, thing he did with Harrison, uh, you know, Witness. The, the Witness was tremendous. and Fearless, I love. Yeah, yeah, with Jeff. And so, yeah, I was excited, you know. I uh, didn't have much time to think about it, which was probably a good thing. Yeah. Just kind of went in there and did it. It's a perfect little movie. I mean, I saw it, and I say mm-hmm. little because it's so 
tight. I mean, mm-hmm. I watched it again a couple of weeks ago, actually. Yeah. No, it's very contained. He's a wonderful filmmaker. Yeah. I know he was kind of. I'm pretty. I think he was pretty devastated by the way way back was handled because the, the, the financiers basically pulled out of it. I mm-hmm. mean, it got. I think mixed reviews. I don't read reviews, but I think it kind of got mixed notices in Toronto, and they didn't publicize it at all in the states. I mean, they didn't put one ad in the paper. They were nothing. I remember going to theater with a buddy on a Tuesday night. We were the only people in the theater. Wow. You know, I mean, it's a good good film, man. The guy's a totally thorough filmmaker, beautiful filmmaker, and um, I don't know what he's been doing since because that. Way back was oh was oh nine. Yeah. It was almost ten years ago, and I don't think Peter's made another film since then. I wow. hope he's working on something though. I was lucky enough to talk to him that year. I saw the film in Telluride at the mm-hmm. film festival, and uh, he was receiving a tribute that year. And uh, it's a pleasure to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you guys can work together again. It'd be nice I'd love to, to, you know. And Sersh has been on a roll since yeah. then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's growing up. Uh, make sure I've covered everything. I mean, you're the, you're the kind of guy if I don't pull out quickly then we'll end up talking about your entire career but uh please see kodachrome it's going to be on netflix and hopefully at a, at a theater near you for a week anyway and uh ed harris thank yeah, you man go thanks to for the coming theater, on go the to show. the theater and see it if you get a minute absolutely You'll enjoy it thanks chris